Um, I always wanted to come into like, are you ready to rumble? <laughs> uh, Tyler, Tyler just made that one afternoon. He's like, let's play that thing. Pretty cool. Uh, welcome, everybody. I saw several people I haven't seen in a little while this morning uh, coming in. So hope uh, you're feeling just very uh, comfortable here at OB Joyful. And saw a few people I know are going to leave soon because of the break. So sorry about that. We're going to miss you, but um, come back soon. One of those is my daughter. Uh, but that's okay. Um, this is how it works. Something I've been uh, meaning to tell you guys for a really long time. I, uh, I love Taco Bell. <clears throat> no, I, I love Taco Bell. Um, and I know some of you aren't in that with me, but those of you who are, we're together. And I just wanted to share something with you. And this actually will come up later in the message, just briefly. But um, if you go to Taco Bell in Gunny, I just, I've been wanting to share this with you because there's a woman that works there that will brighten your day. You go to the drive-thru most days, and you pull through there. And so what I do is I, I'll wait, I'll order my stuff, and then I'll say, oh, and can I have, like, hot sauce with that? And she goes, of course. <laughs> Try it. Whatever that lady does, however she talks. Does anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, son. That lady is awesome. And you get up to the window and you're like, man, can I tip you? You made my day. Anyway, I've been wanting to share that with you for a long time. So I'm doing it right now. Uh, we're in a series called Lifelines, which you just saw. Uh, Lifelines. We're calling it that because we are talking about community and relationship the way God intended relationship and community to be. Uh, something that we broke long, long ago, and he has been repairing and repairing and repairing. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that and why these lifelines of, of community and relationship are so important. And in the church and as believers, we need to deeply appreciate what God is doing in terms of reconnecting us with him, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with other people. So these are the, this is the area that we're working and we're thinking about. These are lifelines. And last week, we started at the beginning. We're, we're kind of, uh, I'd say, building a theology of understanding this, uh, just in four little sections. And we started with, why, why are relationships broken? Why is our relationship with God broken? And we're moving forward to what does it look like in this church, this specific church, to walk in relationship with him, with ourselves, with others, at least in the way, as much as we can in the broken world that we live in. But what I want to do is today talk about this with you. Um, God has used the mechanism of covenants to create relationship with us. And it's very important if you're a Christian or if you're thinking about following Jesus to understand the way God works through covenants and has from the very beginning. And so we're going to talk about what covenants look like. And that's, that's where we're headed today. In the application, really, I, I want you to think all week about covenant relationship with him and with others. But we're going to celebrate communion when I'm done. And communion is an amazing application of covenant. And I think you'll see that as we walk through this message this morning, this passage in particular, the one that Roz just read to us. Uh, three points. We're going to see a covenant-making God. 
We're going to see a promise of a new covenant that was made for us. And then we're going to see this covenant, this new covenant worked out in the life of Jesus. Okay, so covenant making God, a new covenant and the covenant of Jesus. So I, I want to just convince you very briefly that we have a covenant making God. In that passage that we read just a moment ago, this is uh, Matthew 26, verse 27. It says, And Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, Drink of it, all of you drink of it, for this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus is establishing a covenant at that point, and that's where we see that word covenant pop up in the New Testament. We're going to look back a little bit before that. See, covenants are the way, uh, I'll call it like a tool or a, a mechanism that God uses to interact with us. It's not the thing that saves. It's not the thing that redeems. God redeems. But covenants are the way that he interacts with us so we can understand what's going on. For instance, uh, the basic language of a covenant in the Hebrew scripture, and this comes up several times, looks like this. I will be your God when you follow me, and you will be my treasure. So if you were to be just skimming through and just pulled out and all the covenant words popped up, you would almost always see these things coming up. You will be my treasure. You will be my people. Follow me, and this is how you follow me. I will be your God. I am God, and, and so because of that, you will follow me. And when you follow me, you will be my treasure. We'll be in relationship. Okay? Well, let me give you just a quick example of one of those. It's in Exodus. We'll put it up here, Exodus 19. So this is when the Hebrew people are coming out of Egypt. Moses is with them. Moses is the prophet of God. He's speaking. God is sharing these things with the people. And this is one of the covenant ideas that we see in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, follow me, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. I am God of everything. I will treasure you. Follow me. This is a covenant. This is a certain kind of covenant. But well, there's three little keys I want to share with you about what covenant is. And, you know, I think, too, as we talk about covenant with God, which is primarily where we're focused today, and we're going to move towards covenant with each other within the church and what that looks like. But you can also think about this in terms of human relationships, and how these things work out. So possibly that's going to pop up in your mind or heart as a way to apply this. Uh, but the word, this original word in the Hebrew was uh, B-E-R-I-T. So it's, I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, but it's like berit. Berit is how this little, basically three-letter word with a couple of vowels popped in there. And that means covenant. It's also the root word for burrito. And that's how my introduction ties in with this message. You get with me? Okay. The Taco Bell fans are with me. Because you're already thinking, burrito, burrito, lunch. Uh, okay, here's another thing. That's one thing. It, this is the word uh, that it comes from, this tiny little word. But this word, covenant in the Hebrew, is not a neutral word. You don't sign into a covenant with God, and then you kind of go your separate ways, right? This treaty that we have with God, this covenant, 
is something where it's mutually beneficial. We do something that pleases God. He does something for us. And it's ongoing. The, this thing keeps happening. Okay? So uh, it's not a, like a one and done. It's an ongoing, moving relationship that's happening. A covenant relationship. And because we're in a covenant with God, it's necessarily unbalanced. When the God of everything, which you mentioned a minute ago when I read to you from Exodus, the God and the creator of everything says he's going to make a pact for relationship with us, we're definitely not going to be living up to what he is offering to us. That's just not going to happen. We can't think of ourselves that highly. This is a very magnanimous offer from him to be in relationship. So those are three little keys to understand that tiny little word, berit, or covenant. But we got to talk about something called covenant theology. Now, don't let your eyes glaze over and fall asleep here. This is, don't do that, because this is actually really awesome. Um, <laughs> we need to know about covenant theology. We need to understand, if you're a believer or you're thinking about following Jesus and being a believer, then you need to understand something about this. Um, now, one thing that I need to say to you is when, when, I, when I say something about theology, you might say, well, that's, you know, that's for some other people to think about and then tell me. No. Every single one of you, and including me, we are all theologians. Every one of you. And here's why. If you've ever thought about how you interact with God, if you've ever thought about, if anybody's ever asked you a question about God, if you've ever talked to him at all, you are applying theology. You are understanding something about him that you've read or heard or whatever, and you're applying that to how your life works, theology. You study God, now you sort of understand something. But some people spend a lot of time there, right? A lot of time in like the word and studying, trying to figure out how do we put labels on and explain this in a simple human way uh, what, explain what God is doing. And one of those things is called covenant theology, one of those methods of understanding this. And I want to just give you just a super high-level look at that. Basically, for covenant theologians, people who believe in that, who understand God interacting with us like that, uh, there's three aspects to it. Pretty simple. One of them is called the covenant of redemption. And the covenant of redemption is this, that the thought... Within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is a covenant amongst that, within that relationship that is committed to the redemption of us. Okay? And if you think about it, you understand this without me having to say it. You probably already knew it. There is the Father and the Son who sacrificed himself for us and the Holy Spirit that fills us and draws us toward the Father. It's all this process where they're working together sacrificially, and um, because they're all committed to the same thing in a covenant for the redemption of man. That's the first and kind of driving thing, the fuel maybe, or the foundation underneath this covenant theology idea, the covenant of redemption. And then the second one is a covenant of works. And we're also familiar with this. Uh, I, I just read about one. It said, if you obey my commandments, you'll be my people. If you do this, then this will happen right? Uh, for instance, um, if you think back and you're thinking about the, what you know about the Bible, you'll think, okay, well, God said we're in relationship and you can have all these things, but don't do this. 
And what did the, those first humans do? This. Yeah. <laughs> they did this. Uh, then there's a, a covenant with Noah. There's a covenant with Abraham. There's a covenant with the people through Moses. There's a covenant with David th- for the people, for relationship to be established. They're all based on works. Our part was works. The human part was to do these things that would please God and be, um, show him that we were taking part in the covenant with him. I think most of us just intrinsically understand covenants with God. Um, for instance, God, if you get me out of this situation, I will. And I thought of like 10 times I did that in my life. And I figured I didn't need to tell you about him because pretty much everybody has a story like that. God, just, just, just this one time, um, I'll perform if you do this. So we, we get that covenant idea with, with God who is in, interacting with us. Um, a lot of people uh, who we have covenants with, we have relationship with, sometimes have... Um, uh, made it so that it's hard for us to uh, see God as a, uh, a covenant fulfiller because we think we have to do certain things to be in relationship. We've learned from people that we're in relationship with that a relationship looks like performance, right? And so we don't know if we're good enough or we messed it up and it's all broken. Unfortunately, our broken world broken relationships lead to a misunderstanding of the covenant of the cre- with the creator. That's sort of the, the morass that we find ourselves in. And the thing is, um, we can't fix the difference between uh, what our works do and what God does to to connect us through covenant. There's a gap that cannot be closed. This is the hard thing about breaking relationship with him. The offense of our sin is so great that we can't scoot across that even by any acts that we, any amazing things that we do. We can't actually please him. Something has to come in between. Part of the covenant of works is that we see God bring up this thing, this sacrificial system. And it's something that seems abhorrent to us. Why would you have to take an unblemished animal, the firstborn, this lamb or whatever kind of animal is descri- or prescribed for certain situations? Because the, sacri- the, the, the offense against God is so great that it requires life to connect us to him. Did the life of an animal connect us to God either? No, but it was symbolic of something much greater. And God's creating an understanding for his people of what it is, that this, what the situation is that we are in. Broken relationship, we're working our way towards God, and he's closing the gap through, life, through the giving of a life. So, we talked about the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, and I'm going to save the covenant of grace for just a minute. So, what I'm trying to show, show you is we have a covenant-making God, and it's important to us as human beings that we have that. 
the promise of a new covenant. All right. Remember I said, and we all know, life is about relationships, relationship with God, with ourselves, and with other people. And when that was broken, God created the covenant of works, and that wasn't enough. And so somewhere in that story, in the book of Jeremiah, in fact, is where it comes up. God says, I'm going to bring a new covenant. And so this is sort of a, a passage that you can go to when you're like, okay, how's God relate, and how did he set this up for us? Jeremiah 31, 31. It's a pretty famous passage. Okay, a few verses here. Listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt to redeem them, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, in covenant, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord in the future. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So God is preparing the people to look forward to a new covenant that's coming, not like the old one. Let me give you a couple of distinctives of it. The law will be written on the hearts of the people. It's going to go from something external to something internal. And then it says there will be in relationship with me. There's not going to be some hierarchy of people or priests or anything, some system between me and my people. It'll be a relationship that we have one-on-one with the God of the universe. And then the last thing it says, it says, I will remember their iniquity no longer. I will forgive sin. And what it is, it's sort of like, I will forgive sin, period, will be done. This is not like the, the... covenant of, of works that I created with their, with their fathers and fathers and fathers. This is a new covenant, not based on works. So this is where that third piece comes, that covenant theology piece, the covenant of grace. Tyler often says, and I'm not going to get it right, but he, he says, you know, you've done what we couldn't do, and you've loved us like we couldn't deserve to be loved. And say that something like that. I, I can't ever repeat it just right, but you guys have heard him say that. We can't deserve it, but God has made a way, this is his grace, to have a restored relationship with him. It's his work. Remember, it's necessarily not uh, fair to him. When we, when we have a covenant with God, it's not fair to him. He's going to do more. He, by his work, is going to cause us to be able to be in a relationship with him. And our only part, is to believe. And let me show you just a little bit about that. Um, this idea of, of grace, uh, forgiveness, and relationship is something I think we also understand. Uh, I remember as a child, I was probably eight, and I was uh, playing in the summer outside in my front yard, and there was a huge um, grasshopper thing 
It was the size of a Sharpie, like a fat Sharpie. And of course, as a you know, eight-year-old kid, what is my mission? Kill. Um, some people might have said save it and keep it and grow it, you know, and have, make it have, you know. No, uh, I wanted to destroy it. It was flying all around me, so I picked up this huge clod of dirt. I was like, oh, I'm going to get this thing. So I'm chasing it around the house. It's landing on the house, laying on the bushes, lands on the house. I'm like, yes, I'm close. <clears throat> and it was on the window. <laughs> and so... This clod went through there. It was into the living room. This is like a fancy window, like one of the only fancy things my parents had, and I smashed it. And it rolls into in front of the kitchen where my mom is. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, okay. Of course, when the thing flew, when my, when my missile flew, the bug just goes, you know. So absolutely no success. And uh, my, so I'm thinking, well, Maybe I should go get my little knapsack and put it on my stick and leave because my dad's going to kill me. Because that's what you think. You know, I'm going to die because of what I did. But I'll, I have never forgotten that this thing because my dad, uh, fortunately, he was this kind of person. Instead of killing me, which you can see he did not do, um, he just forgave me for it. And it was, you know, I'd been punished for plenty of things. I'd done tons of stuff. But this was a big one in my family at that age. And he just said, you know, Scott, I forgive you. I mean, there's consequences. I'm going to have to pay for that one. I'm eight. I can't earn enough. I can't earn $300 for the window. And he said, I'm going to take care of it. And I was just blown away. I never, I just, I don't know if they, if my parents were in there. Okay, this is a great time to teach him about grace. I don't really know. But that's what they did. And I'm telling you about it today. <laughs> um, not all of our parents have, have shown us what grace is. And I know I'm fortunate to have a dad who, who worked that way. Some of us have to see in the scripture and understand what God is really like and not take it from our parents. But he showed me something about grace. He paid the penalty. He forgave me. It doesn't mean there wasn't a cost, right? There was still a cost. He didn't put cardboard on it forever. He had it fixed. See, um, there is an extreme cost that we and I do not want to recognize for my sin. For my breaking of relationship with God, I do not want to admit that. And I want to think, hey, I can, I can really do what I want because I can kind of get away with it, right? I mean, God is gracious. And we want to be understanding. Everybody should just kind of do what they want. God's going to fix it in the end. Problem is, there's great cost associated with that. You remember the gap between us and what we do to try to please God and him reaching to us is a life, is, is blood. Um, Isaiah gives us a, a pretty cool understanding of this when he writes as a prophet also in that middle time uh, before Jesus comes, but after, uh, after uh, Moses in those times. He says, there's going to be a lamb. It's going to be a perfect lamb. But that perfect lamb is going to be the son of God. I'm going to tell you where he's going to be born. I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like, what his family's going to be like. I'm going to tell you where he's going to live, where he's going to be um, uh, exiled to. I'm going to tell you all kinds of things about this person, the son of God. I'm going to tell you even about his death. And that's, with just that information, is where the disciples are 
the followers of Jesus in the upper room with him, celebrating the Passover together. And that's where we get to the covenant of Jesus. So we've seen this covenant-making God. We've seen a new covenant, and now it's expressed in Jesus. And look at this. Um, They're together. They're in this room. They're having a very special meal, the Passover meal, which was prescribed. Passover was related to being redeemed from Egypt, remember? And it cost blood for them to be redeemed from Egypt. And so this is something that the Jewish people are celebrating, and these Hebrew people are celebrating. And now in verse 26, again, Matthew, chapter 26, verse 26, and they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink of it, all of you, drink of this, for it is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Does that resonate with you now as you've been thinking about what covenant means? Luke adds that word in there. He says, this is, Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He's establishing this thing. I mean, verse 28 right here is pretty powerful stuff. He says, Jeremiah said, remember, we're going to know God in a personal way. Just like the disciples knew Jesus in a personal way and made it very personal. This bread represents my body and this wine represents my blood. And it's a new covenant. And there's cost, my blood. And, you know, whenever the Bible says blood, like this, it's talking about the cost of a life. Sometimes we sing songs that have the word blood or, or like being covered in the blood or redeemed by the blood. And if you're not a Christian and you hear that, you're like, I don't know. Uh, but what it means is being covered by the life of Jesus. Being redeemed by his ultimate sacrifice. It's not about blood and red color and stuff like that. It's about the life of Jesus, the perfect life being given. 